Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Kick is live. It is Thursday night, April 21st, the year of our Lord, 2022, mathematically impossible for us to get to the end of this show tonight. And I still have as many friends as I do at this very moment in time. So I'm going to soak this in while I can because it's going to be one of those shows tonight. The thumbnail says no holds barred and we will not bar any holds. We got a mailbag that I think is as wide ranging as we've ever had. A lot of Q&A tonight. Nothing is off limits. It's going to be a good one. A lot of shows out there taking some vacation. Jesse told me we have 70 graphics in tonight's show alone. We've never had a show this jam-packed. I don't know what it is about this particular Thursday in April, but man, we're loaded. We got schedules. We got lists. We got uh, an either-or game that was presented by one of our big rivals out there, which we'll get to momentarily, but it's going to be a good one. Um, we also have Oklahoma's Mood Tracker tonight. We have someone that dared to suggest the college football playoff format is unfair. Wait for it. Wait for it to the Southeastern Conference, and I will entertain that as only I can. Thank you so much for being tuned in. They're watching us in, yes, Smackover, Arkansas, which for a point of reference is between El Dorado and Camden, for those unfamiliar. They're watching us in Oneonta, Alabama, St. Petersburg, Florida, Wilmington, Delaware, our first Delaware check-in. Appreciate you guys being tuned in. I've got no more time to waste. We've got to dive in. We have got so many things to get to this evening. Uh, the third, the, uh, so here's what we're going to do. It's a very, very atypical order for the show. We're going to do a couple of Q&As, and then we're going to do the mood tracker. Then we're going to get right back into it. And by the way, we had so much in this show tonight, we already got a lot of stuff in the Sunday show lined up. Plus, we'll have spring reactions. So I, you may take a vacation. Just don't do it right now. There's a whole lot going on, despite what the casuals may tell you. So let's get it started here. Robbie kicking us off. He asks... Which teams that finished outside the AP Top 25 last season could you see making the jump to finishing inside the Top 25 this season? I came up with four of them. And I think a couple of them are pretty obvious, but you know what? Think to yourself, if you need to pause the video, pause the video, pull up last year's final AP rankings. First thing you need to know is, on this particular show, we don't put a whole lot of stock in the AP, but the question's about the AP, so let's dive in. First team, the Fighting Collins of Tennessee. I think Tennessee was a top 15 team last year, top 20 caliber team in the power rating metrics. In AP, they did not finish there. So that's a team that finished seven and six, obviously. I think they had three losses of one possession mixed in there, but they were top 15 in points per game, yards per game, rush yards per game. Offensively, they kept trending in the right direction the entirety of the season. They were top 20 in the JP poll, like I said, at the end of the year. 
they go to Pitt in week two. And it's going to be a really interesting scene there for both teams now because Pitt's a dark horse playoff contender. And if you didn't know it, it was established on the last episode of Late Kick Live. But also, they've got the rest of that season. And you're looking at the schedule right now. They got Florida in the first month of the season. We're going to talk about Tennessee's schedule a little bit, little bit later on. But they've also got very, very big opportunities here. They got opportunities to make those old-fashioned statement wins. But also, Tennessee, I mean, look at where they're trending. And look at the energy that they finished the season with, even with the bowl loss. It's really hard for me to imagine they'll be 25 better than Tennessee uh, come December. The next team is Penn State. Penn State, I thought, was clearly a top 10 caliber team this past year before Sean Clifford went down in that Iowa game. That was that fateful early October afternoon where we had all those big upsets all over the country. I thought they were top 10 before that. But this football, injuries happen. So what you remember about Penn State last year is they were 7-6. and six, And they lost the bowl game, so they finished 7-6. and six, And everything kind of went off the rails. And you didn't get the rebound season that you were hoping for, right? Well, to me, they kind of did get it. It was just thrown in the wood chipper because of the quarterback injury. That doesn't matter for last year. It does matter for this year, though. Because moving ahead this year, we got Sean Clifford back for the 47th year in a row. You're thinking to yourself, oh, man, but Jahad Dotson's not there anymore. That's true. Parker Washington is, though. Really good playmaker already. I think a guy that is poised as much as maybe any player in the Big Ten to burst sort of on the national scene from just the local and regional scene. But also, if you go up and down their schedule, they've got Ohio State at home this year. And that game, if we were to cap it right now, you would probably install Penn State as over a seven-point underdog, even at home. And we'll see how that turns out. But outside of that, look up and down the schedule. If you're listening on podcast, I can tell you they go to Auburn in week three. That's going to be a really good, it's going to be a really good road test, but also a very winnable game on the road in the SEC. Remember those two played last year too. Uh, They go to Michigan October 15th. Very competitive game there. They got Minnesota the following week and then Ohio State comes to town. And then the last four games on their schedule at Indiana, Maryland, at Rutgers, and then they finished the regular season with Michigan State at home. My point in reading off the schedule is not just to prove that we have it in front of us. I'm asking you, can this team finish top 25? My answer is yes, because where's the other game where they're an underdog? Where's the other game where they're a big underdog? They may be a two or three point dog in some of these games. They're all winnable. And history tells us Ohio State at home is winnable too. So I think Penn State's going to finish top 25. Texas A&M, even though I'm listing them third, is probably the easiest go-to here. And I'm not even going to give you four or five bullet points for why A&M will finish in the top 25. I'm just going to flat out tell you there's no way there are 25 teams better than Texas A&M. Now, here's the reaction I know I'm going to get. So let me go ahead and spare you the time of looking me up and going to the inbox. A lot of you are thinking, no, Texas A&M is still a year away minimum. That may be true. It's all within the proper context. The question is not give me four playoff teams this year. It's give me a few teams that finished outside the top 25 that are poised to jump in the top 25. Guys, 25 teams now. You're finding me 25 who are going to be better than A&M. Think about just the skill along the lines of scrimmage. I haven't even gotten to the infusion of talent from this true freshman class, but also there's a really, really solid quarterback battle going on there now. Max Johnson, you can find a lot of folks who will hook their wagon up to him. You got folks who also believe in Haynes King. I don't really care who you believe in. The point is Jimbo can win with either one of them. This is going to be a really good team. Maybe they don't compete for the SEC West or a national title until next year. I guarantee you they can compete to be a top 25 team. I would call them a top 15 team. Now I would feel safe in saying that. 
Uh, they play in the SEC. The only thing that would trip that up is if the totality of their schedule chews them up too much. But if I gave this team an ACC schedule, it's a slam dunk top 15 team, much less top 25. The fourth team is in the ACC, and it's North Carolina, which has become tradition on this show. People have started making fun of me for defending North Carolina. So in typical Pate State fashion, we're going to roll with it anyway. The nucleus of this team is now three consecutive top 15 recruiting classes. The headline is going to be, they lost Sam Howell quarterback. What you need to know is guys like Javari Ritzy, guys like Keyshawn Silver, uh, the totality of last year's star study class and the last three classes really, those guys now all gain a year and gain seasoning and gain experience and you've got the strength and conditioning and nutrition and all the stuff that takes you from year one to year two where a lot of folks make that big leap. Well, all those guys have at least that under their belt now. But go back to the quarterback situation. Everybody knows Sam Howell's gone. How many of them really know anything about Drake May? Nationally, not locally, nationally. How many of them know anything about Jacoby Criswell? How many of them are really following the quarterback battle there? I think you got a lot of folks that are just casually riding North Carolina off that couldn't even tell you what the quarterback situation there is right now, much less the fact that you got guys like Josh Downs there. I think uh, listening to our inside Carolina guys, they'll probably make an effort to gain at least one more receiver in the portal. But this team right here, our entire philosophy, at least on this show, is we were just a year early on them. I, I'll tell you personally what I got caught up in. What I got caught up in is a lot of the intoxication of that freshman class and the recruiting momentum. And I parlayed that into, well, if I believe in that, let's just go ahead and endorse North Carolina big time in the 2021 season. Didn't happen. Doesn't mean you bail on them. All the players I believed in then, I still believe in now. Maybe I was just a year early on them. I told you before, I did this with TCU one year. Believed in TCU, they eh, X that year. And then the next year, everyone sold them down the river, and I think they ended up going like double-digit wins. So I'm not going to do that again. North Carolina, A&M, Tennessee, Penn State. Give me those four teams to finish inside the top 25 this year. Next up on this lovely Thursday evening. It's a loaded question but it's a question that we will take head on. Marissa, friend of the program, asked if there is one team with the potential to pull the upset over Alabama this year, who do you think it is? And by the way, she checks in from Clifton Springs, New York, which I hear is lovely this time of year. I went up and down Alabama's schedule. There's not a whole lot of skill in this, to be clear, because last year we were looking at the Texas A&M game the week of the game, and Bama was a three-touchdown favorite. Famously, your boy had credentials to the game, was in the state of Texas, and chose to fly home that night instead of driving down to College Station after the Red River shootout to go to the game. Well, where is that landmine on this year's Alabama schedule? I'm going to give you in order the five most losable or upset-worthy spots. These are not predictions. Let me preface that. AJ King, I know you're watching. Don't have your social media team do their usual work here and back me into a corner where I'm having to answer phone calls from Josh Maxson tomorrow morning at Alabama. Bama at Tennessee. I think out of all these games on October 15th is the most potential landmine spot. Let me put it that way. If, if we were to have a Texas A&M upset alert of this year, it would be that game at Tennessee. You want to know why? Look at the two games in front of it. And for those of you driving around listening on podcast, Bama goes to Arkansas on October 1st. Bama comes home the next week to play Texas A&M. 
And then they go to Tennessee. There's no bye week here. They go to Tennessee the following week. That's a tough little three-game stretch. Two of them are on the road. And Tennessee, listen, they play at LSU the week before. So, you know, it's not like this is going to be a three- or four-point spread. Yeah, Bama's still going to be solidly favored. But what have you had to do historically to beat Alabama? You've had to have some precision passing happen that afternoon. Really helps to have it in your home stadium. Tennessee's got that this year. And they won't be favored, nor should they. But they'll have a puncher's chance because they possess that and the schedule dynamics work in their favor. The second one is Alabama at Arkansas. Still hadn't mentioned A&M yet. I think that they are third. So Alabama at Arkansas. Now here's what's fun. Bama's got a lot of big road games this year. And everyone always gets up for Bama. One of the most fun things to do if you get to cover college football and you can choose where you want to go. Go to the big Alabama road games. A lot of you are fans who have been at these games. You know exactly what I'm talking about. When Bama comes to your building, it's always like a Super Bowl. You, so if you cover Alabama, those beat reporters, they always get to experience the very best that those road venues have to offer. Well, think about this year. you got Neyland Stadium. You've got, obviously, Reynolds Razorback Stadium here. They go to LSU this year. They go to Ole Miss this year. This is going to be some incredible road environments. Oh, by the way, they go to Texas in week two. I think this game, though, at Arkansas, speak of Texas, remember when Texas went in there last year? You remember what that place looked like? Did it look like anyone was going in there and winning that night? Bama's going to deal with all that and then some this year. Now, it will not be because the schedule has tripped Alabama up. If this upset happens, it'll just be because Arkansas has beat them. Because Bama, in order, has Utah State at Texas, La Monroe, and Vanderbilt, the four weeks leading up to this game at Arkansas. But the plus side of having this game this early in the year is Arkansas is much less likely to be beat up. Uh, they're statistically at least much less likely to have lost critical playmakers to injury. So they should be relatively full strength, full speed. Stadium should be on fire. That's one to look for. And the third one is Texas A&M, but it's a revenge spot. See, the reason I put this one down the list a little bit, even though it may be the best roster overall that Alabama plays, is because they just, outside of the Ole Miss debacle, which took a minus five turnover effort, they just don't lose the back-to-back -back game thing very often. You beat them one year, and then they, they paint the walls with your blood the next year. That's what history has shown us they do. Could Jimbo and Texas A&M turn that on its ear? Sure they could, but first things first. It's the revenge spot, which I always trust Nick Saban in. And here's the second thing. All these other games I'm going to mention, Bama's going on the road. This is the only one that I'm going to list where a big-name opponent comes to Bryant-Denny Stadium, where you have to deal with Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell, easily going to be the best pass rush in America this year, and the crowd noise element. See, all these other teams will have to deal with it, too. But at least, at least they don't have the crowd to deal with as well. A&M will have all that to deal with. And while I do trust the quarterback situation at A&M, I have no clue who it's going to be yet. So I put that one third. Fourth game is Bama at Ole Miss. Now, the reason I didn't put this higher, even though schedule dynamics play in Ole Miss's favorites, is a little bit later in the year. So normally, I think they play this game in November. Normally by November, we got the Bama team we're going to have. And usually that's a pretty good um, product. The second thing is, I think by this time, a lot of the problems, let's say along Alabama's offensive line will be figured out, but even if they aren't, is this the team to expose them? Because I really trust Bama's pass rush this year. I really trust their secondary this year. And what I'm telling you is, you know, we watched Bama pretty easily handle Ole Miss last year. I don't think it's a great matchup for Ole Miss this year. There have been Bama teams that they match up better against. I don't think Ole Miss matches up well against this team this year. Having said that, 
Ole Miss has got a bye, I believe, before this game. So they do have that going for them. And the fifth game, you know how tough your schedule has to be for this to be the fifth game? They go to Texas in week two. The late kick, yet-to-be-named tour of 2022, very tentatively scheduled to be in Austin for this game. I think it's a noon kickoff, 11 a.m. local time. I would put the over-under. Jesse, what would you say the over-under? Probably 93.5 degrees at kickoff. Um, so, wow, look at the monitor. Solid money coming in on the over already. This just has to do with not knowing whether Texas defensively can put up enough resistance. And also, you're going to have either Hudson Card or more likely Quinn Ewers. And if it's Quinn Ewers, you're going to have him having to deal with that pass rush. I mean, they say baptism by fire a lot in this sport. That quite literally would be baptism by fire. So if Bama's going to lose, probably going to be to one of these five teams, out of all of them, I think Tennessee poses the biggest threat. I'm sure I'll get a ton of agreement in the comment section on that one. I, I, no kidding, though. I'm really interested to see what you guys have to say about that one. Is there any team outside that group? Like, I didn't think about this. They play at LSU this year. And I didn't list LSU, even in Baton Rouge, as one of the five most likely upset possibilities on Bama's schedule. Hadn't said that in quite a while. So maybe we won't say that again after this year. Academy Sports and Outdoors, as I look around and I see, well, I see a gray day in Nashville today, but tomorrow night, certain members of the Late Kick family here are going to participate in good old-fashioned men's league softball. Actually, I'm told it's co-ed. We'll see. Either way, we're going to participate. Now, I've already done my shopping on academy.com. You may say, Josh, why didn't you just go to Academy Sports and Outdoors in person? Answer, because I was lazy that day. But it doesn't matter. See, the great thing about Academy Sports and Outdoors is, number one, they make our show possible. And that really should be all that matters. But if you need more coaxing, number two, they don't care how lazy you are. They'd like to change that bad habit. But before that, you got to shop them. And you can shop them in person or you can shop them online. And if you want to take the online option like I did, academy.com. They've got your hookup for every kind of outdoor recreational activity you could possibly be interested in. And by the way, if you feel like grilling out afterwards, they got the grills too. They got the pit boss, they got the Traeger, they got more grills than I have time to list on this show tonight. Do whatever you want to do. Just make sure you go to Academy Sports and Outdoors before you do it. They make our show possible. They are our exclusive partner. And hey, if you already go, Elsewhere for sporting goods, one of my favorite emails to always get is, I used to go here, but now I go to Academy instead. I forward those right along. They really love to get those. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, make them a destination for yourself this spring. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.
Evansville, Indiana, tuned in tonight. Midland, Texas, tuned in tonight. And Roanoke, Virginia, tuned in tonight. Thank you so, so much. We got to get a mood tracker in right quick. And then I've got, I've got five of probably the more controversial and risky Q&As that we've done. I really got to tiptoe lightly through that last bit of Q&A here, or I'm going to get myself in trouble. But in the meantime, the Oklahoma mood tracker, probably the biggest complaint, well, the second biggest complaint on the show about the past month or so is, where's the Oklahoma mood tracker? The first complaint largely has to do with my wardrobe. That's private matter. The second complaint, though, I was tired of listening to. Not because you were annoying, but because you were right. We got to get the Oklahoma mood tracker in. So we let spring Almost get out of here. Oklahoma spring game, I think, is this Saturday. They're expecting over 60K in Norman, by the way. So this may be one of the most intriguing mood trackers for the drive-by college football fans out there that we have. Because even if you don't know all the particulars, maybe you can't name Brent Venable's entire assistant coaching ladder that he brought with him. What you do know is you know that guy that's at USC now was there, and the guy that was the quarterback's all the way over at where? Yeah, South Carolina. And haven't they been popping off at each other? Anyway, Netflix, you know what? I hear there have been better days at Netflix. If you want a cheap and affordable and ready-made series, Oklahoma football circa 2021-2022. I've already got the casting done. I've already got the story arcs written. All you need to do is call me for a nominal fee. We'll get you hooked up. OUinsider.com was the destination, and quite frankly, it always is for all of your Oklahoma Sooner scoop. But I went there today and I posed the same question I do to all of our fan bases. My current mood towards OU football is fill in the blank. And boy, did they respond. Now, predictably, they're excited. And therefore, predictably, a lot of the responses I cannot use on air. Because we fancy ourselves a show where little Johnny can sit in dad's passenger seat on his way to school in the morning and be exposed to this podcast with no risk involved. I, I respect and appreciate the responses, but I'm going to have to stick with taking them, balling them all up, and what I came to is actually a submission that was put on the board there. Steak over sizzle. Preferring steak over sizzle. So the Oklahoma mood right now is appreciating the sizzle, but preferring the steak. Obviously, we're juxtaposing the Lincoln-Riley era to what we think the Brenton Venables era will bring. Here's the thing about your typical Oklahoma fan right now. I think they're mischaracterized nationally. Nationally, folks still think they're out there crying about Lincoln Riley. They're still raw about him. But the, the tears have long since dried up. These people are very, very excited about Brent Venables. It's nice to have a video game offense. That was fun. That was very nice. It's not like they didn't like that. They loved a quarterback always being in Heisman contention. Uh, they loved to be an offense that the rest of the country looked at and feared. They loved that they virtually ran the Big 12. They loved all that, but I'll tell you what they didn't love. They didn't love going into a playoff situation and knowing they were probably going to need 50-plus if they stood any chance of winning. That was Oklahoma football when Lincoln Riley was there. This is the Oklahoma mood. This is not even me talking. This is what an Oklahoma Sooner fan would tell you. So believe it or not, there is some excitement to get... A guy in there named Brent Venables, who has not been a head coach, but who they think is a very, very good culture fit. A lot of people say that. They firmly believe it there. I have no reason to doubt him. Number two, they believe there was, there was a need for a style change there and a philosophy change, even if Lincoln Riley were still the head coach. So they got two of those pieces moved instead of just one. I know a lot of you 
read the Players Tribune article from Lincoln Riley that was written earlier this week. If you haven't checked it out, go to the Players Tribune, check it out. There were some, some interesting, very interesting takeaways. This is going to come as a shock to you, but Lincoln Riley's letter in the Players Tribune did not do a whole heck of a lot to move the emotion needle and the forgiveness needle in Norman, Oklahoma. I had about one or two Oklahoma buddies reach out and say, you know, I appreciate he did that. We'll let bygones be bygones. About the time they got the sentence out of their mouth, the other 98% of the fan base put the shh index finger over their lips and they said, ball it up, throw it in the garbage, we're done with him. That's how most of them feel. Doesn't really matter what was written in the Players' Tribune. And I think there were probably some ulterior motives for having written that in the Players' Tribune. I'm not saying I'd handle myself any differently if I was Lincoln Riley. I'm telling you what an Oklahoma fan's mood is right now. An Oklahoma fan's mood is they really believe in Brent Venables. Here's the counter. If you're just watching in Shreveport, Louisiana, and let's say you're a, a, a Louisiana Lafayette fan, you're not attached to this in any way, you may say what a lot of America is saying. A lot of the casual college football crowd out there is looking at Oklahoma fan, and they're saying, if you really believed in Brent Venables so much, you wouldn't have Lincoln Riley's name in your mouth every other sentence. Well, they don't anymore, quite to the degree they did, but it is still a sore subject. Guys, it's been four and a half months. Hasn't been four and a half years. So whomst amongst you would not still be rubbed the wrong way if the guy who said he wanted to spend the rest of his career in your hometown all of a sudden bolted because, in his words, his agent called with a little bit better offer. It's natural. It's human nature. Favorite Michael Jackson song, it applies perfectly here. I don't think once the season starts, you will hear a fraction of the talk about Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma, even that you do right now. It's possible to still be a little aggravated with the way things ended with your ex, but be in a happy relationship. That's where Oklahoma fans are right now. And secondly, Brent Venables has come in, and now we, we look at the future, because that's what the segment's all about. We look at the future, what's the most likely thing to happen? Well, the most likely thing to happen is, first off, we're going to get to find out what Brent Venables, the head coach, is all about. You can forecast it, you can guess, there is, there is no substitute for real-world head coaching experience. He does not have any, he's about to get a lot of it, and on a very, very big platform. We've seen Kirby Smart handle it well, we've seen Ryan Day handle it well, we saw Lincoln Riley handle it well, we've seen other guys not handle it well, so it remains to be seen there. But even as we start to get introduced to Brent Venables, the head coach, as the season goes on, we're also going to see if that whole culture thing starts to take root. Because the best case scenario is like I always mention, you get that Sam Pittman effect, you get that Mel Tucker effect, you get that Shane Beamer effect, you get this intangible kind of congealing between the head coach and the fan base and the culture and the administration and recruits. As soon as they step off of campus after their official visits, they keep raving about this thing that exists at Oklahoma, and they can't really put their finger on it, but they've gone visits elsewhere in the country, and they haven't felt quite what they feel at Oklahoma. If you start sensing that, and if you start hearing that, and you start feeling that, you'll have it. That it, like I said, very intangible. That's why they call it culture. You know, there's not a, there's not a, a blueprint, there's not a PowerPoint where it's just a bullet point, one, two, three, four kind of procedure, and all of a sudden, voila, you have culture. You got to have the right guy in the head coach's chair. They are totally sold that they have that. So yes, while they are still rubbed the wrong way by Lincoln Riley, and they would not substitute any bodily fluids even if he was on fire next to him, 
they are also happy to have Brent Venables. Nay, they are ecstatic to have Brent Venables. You know why? Because they, in retrospect, don't feel like they had one of theirs in the past. They do feel like they have one of theirs at home now. We'll see how this works out. It's going to be one of the most fun programs to watch this year. And they, all the while, are about to move to the SEC in a few years. I guess we kind of have more on that in one, two, three, four, four or five questions from now. All right, this piece of paper I hold in my hand right now is, is dangerous because it's got a lot of dangerous questions on it. But you know what? We don't dodge them. So here we go. First up, Matt asks, we all know the big games for next season. What are the most underrated matchups in the 2022 schedule that could have college football playoff implications? The first one I went to is in week one. It's on Labor Day night. It's Clemson at Georgia Tech. Jesse looked at me sideways when I said this. It's not because Georgia Tech's going to compete for a playoff spot, but I am extremely fascinated with aspects of both of these teams. So Clemson, for their part in this, they are expected to bounce back. They are expected to contend for the ACC championship and thus a spot in the college football playoff. We very much are looking at 2021 as hopefully just a blip on the radar screen and it's just a little dip down to 10 wins and then Clemson's right back in the playoff conversation come December. Well, it stands to reason, if we're going to get that kind of product from Clemson this year, it means we've got a lot better offensive production. And if we're getting that from Clemson, this will not be an issue for them. I don't care if it's on the road. I don't care how hostile it is. I don't care that this is a standalone game on Labor Day night. I don't care about any of that. If we got the Clemson we're supposed to have, then they'll handle this with relative ease. I don't know that we're going to have that. Therefore, I think this could be a very intriguing matchup. For Georgia Tech's side in this, they're coming off back-to-back-to-back three-win seasons. It's all on the line this year for them. They know it. The staff knows it. The administration knows it. And they don't have to wait to four or five weeks in the year when they're banged up, potentially, to get their shot. They got their shot in week one, and they got Clemson coming in there. Like I said, it's a standalone game, so for better or for worse, the whole country is watching. I'm not saying it's a do or die in terms of you better win the game, but they almost beat Clemson last year. Don't forget that. A lot of folks almost did or outright did beat Clemson last year. Georgia Tech was even one of them. So let's see how this one plays out. It could be that it's 27 to 3 at halftime. Could be that. Or it could be that it's, well, judging by last year, 7 to 3 at halftime. Let's keep an eye on it. Next game, week two. I'm giving you one game each week of the first three weeks of the season here. Tennessee is traveling to Pitt. Yes, the University of Tennessee Volunteers are going to play in Heinz Field in week two of the college football season. Colin's already talking about this one. I'm already talking about this one. A lot of folks are already talking about this one. For Tennessee's part in this, this is an opportunity for some revenge because Kenny Pickett and the the Pitt Panthers got him there early in the season last year in Knoxville. So this is a chance for revenge there. But also, this is an opportunity, an early opportunity for us to kind of find out about Hendon Hooker and about what we think this Tennessee offense could be this year. But it's also a chance on the Pitt side of things to look at what Keaton Slovis is at quarterback. Kind of like the North Carolina thing we talked about earlier. The country knows pretty much one thing about Pitt, and they know that, oh, Kenny Pickett, they lost the quarterback, but they don't do their follow-up homework. That's why we're here with 70 graphics for you in mid-April. You need to know that just because you lose a high-profile quarterback doesn't always mean you take 15 knocks down the ladder. Sometimes you've got an adequate replacement. Pitt believes they do. They've got an opportunity in front of, I don't know, at least the region, maybe the world, depending on the TV schedule, how it shakes out in week two, against Tennessee. Pitt 
could knock on the door of playoff contention like we talked about the other night if everything were to fall right on their schedule. But for Tennessee's side of this, if Tennessee's going to be that sleeper that all of a sudden isn't a sleeper anymore in the SEC, they need this one. They need to go on the road and win that game. That would make a lot of noise, I think. The third game is in week three. We hinted at it earlier. This is Penn State at Auburn. Now, on the surface, the marquee says, Big Ten team going on the road in the SEC. And, and not against Vanderbilt, all due respect. This is a, a premier brand in Auburn. So you get all that. You get that good rub. But then you zoom in the microscope a little bit, and you realize Auburn's got all sort of issues. Half to most of the folks behind the scenes did not want the guy who's still the head coach there to be the head coach, yet he is still the head coach, even though we don't know who his quarterback's going to be. So there's a lot of question mark all over the Auburn brand, but it's still that AU brand. So you've got that going for you if you're Penn State, and for Penn State's part in this two-part equation, they've got to prove that last year's 7-6 and six record was just a byproduct of bad injury luck. And we're going to find out if that's the case because they beat this team last year with the same quarterback that's going to return this year in Sean Clifford, quarterback for Penn State at least. It's going to be a really good opportunity for them. So those three games at the beginning of the year, if you think about them, none of these teams, at least in my mind's eye, are going to be overwhelming popular picks for the playoff. But this is going to have impact on the playoff picture. Clemson at Georgia Tech week one, Tennessee at Pitt week two, and Penn State at Auburn week three. All right, let's roll it right along here. Appreciate you guys being tuned in live, by the way. I keep periodically copying and pasting a message into the live chat. I just need you to like the video and subscribe to the channel or subscribe to the podcast if you're listening. Our, um, not buddy, but acquaintance, Brandon Walker, hit us up today. He said, who would you rather be over the next five years? And then he listed a bunch of either ors, and I asked him, give me your choices, and I'll just beat you like a pinata on the other side of the debate. Now, Brandon Walker has the spine of a pool noodle, so he did not respond. What I did have is a lot of you respond, and so I went and I kind of aggregated your responses. And in each of these scenarios, these either ors, I'm going to take the side that most of you landed on, and just for fun, I'm going to take the opposite side. So it's just a trip back to debate class. The first one was Alabama or Georgia. Who would you rather be over the next five years? Most of you took Bama, which surprised me a little bit because I thought the momentum of Georgia just winning the title and knowing you got Kirby for presumably longer than Nick Saban, I thought you were going to go Georgia. Well, since you win Alabama, my Georgia argument would be, let me say this out loud. One team, my team, just beat yours for a national championship which means we've proven that unlike 98% of this sport, we are capable of going toe-to-toe with you on the grandest stage the sport has to offer. And then number two, it's got a couple of numbers for you. 70 and 46. Your coach is 70. Mine is 46. Mine's going to be around probably long after yours has stepped away. And mine's already proven that he can compete and recruit at the highest level. It's a no-brainer, right? That would be my Georgia argument. Win, number one. Number two was USC or Oklahoma. This is the most popular either or in college football right now for reasons that we just touched on in the show about 10 minutes ago. Most of you went USC. That did not surprise me. You've got the more proven commodity head coach, and everyone's just always in love with the potential of USC. So I take the Oklahoma side of the argument, and what I say is take your sizzle, take your ornaments. I've got the stake. I've got the tree over here. We had the ornaments. We never had the tree to hang them on. 
There was never a solid nucleus of this program. We got exposed when we were on the biggest stages against the Georgias, even though we did go to overtime. We had a chance to win that game. We got exposed. Bama hanging 28 on us before we even blinked. We want a guy who's actually coached a defense at a relatively high level. And by relative, I mean best defense in the country any given year. We want a guy that's infectious. We want a guy who eats, sleeps, and breathes Oklahoma instead of himself. Yeah, I said it because I'm an Oklahoma fan right now. I'll take Oklahoma's future over USC's future because I've seen what a program can be at its maximum potential under Lincoln Riley. It happened here, and you know what? It wasn't good enough. Brent Venables is going to get us there, and then he's going to take us the next step beyond. So give me Oklahoma's future. Well, would you say? Yeah, I think I would score that. So two to nothing for me so far. Number three, Notre Dame or Texas. Surprisingly, a lot of you took Notre Dame, which I did not expect. But you know what? I'll be happy to take the Longhorn side of the equation here. Stop judging Texas on what they have been, because this is a question about the next five years. And in the next five years, I'm going to have the best quarterback in America in Quinn Ewers. I may have the best one on top of that in Arch Manning. I'm going to have my pick of elite quarterbacks any given year because I got the best play caller in college football calling plays. Also serving as my head coach in Steve Sarkeesian. You may look at me and say, well, he's unproven. He's unproven. Well, every great head coach was unproven at some point. No, he hasn't been great to this point in his career. He ain't been the head coach at Texas to this point in his career either. And let me give you three letters that changes everything. NIL. I get to hook that up to a limitless in-state crop of talent here and recruit the rest of the South just for the heck of it. And you get to do what at Notre Dame? Are they really going to give you the freedom? I mean, be honest with yourself. Are they really going to let you unleash NIL there? You already got to have kids getting a lot higher number on those standardized test scores than I do to get them in school. Are they really going to let you do what they're going to let me do at Texas? I don't think so. Therefore, I'm taking Texas. That's a definitive win. That's a 3-0. What about LSU or Texas A&M? Who do you think you took? You're listening and you don't know the results. Who do you think the folks took? The folks took Texas A&M because America hates Brian Kelly right now. Not me, but America, which puts me in the fortuitous position of defending Brian Kelly. A lot of you took Texas A&M. That's cool. You gave me my choice of LSU, and I will wave this purple and gold flag with pride. What do you have that we don't have? Because we got a lot of what you don't have. My last three coaches have won titles. One of them could barely put together coherent sentences. In fact, more than one of them could barely put together coherent sentences. And even they won national championships here, which proves if you can walk and chew gum at the same time and loosely harness what Louisiana State University has to offer, I don't have to worry about what's happening outside of the borders of this state. I don't have anybody to compete against here. I get the best athletes per capita in America, and I get them all to myself, and I got Brian Kelly too. And unlike your guy, Brian Kelly has played for championships before, and he did it with a fraction of the resources your guy had at the time when he was at Florida State, and now he's at Texas A&M. I saw your last recruiting class. That was lovely. And you kind of snuck up on a lot of college football and slapped them in the back of the head, but you know what college football has done now, and especially what we at LSU are about to do? We will adjust. Enjoy that class. It's the last time you'll run away from the pack. In fact, chances are you'll enjoy the view from behind me a lot more than I'll ever enjoy the view from behind you again. Again, we've accomplished everything here already multiple times over that you're trying to accomplish. And here's the cherry on top. You got to play us every year to get there. 
I'll take my chances. Point, purple and gold. And the last one is the rare three-parter. Is it Miami? Is it Florida? Or is it Florida State? You guys took Florida, and you took them pretty convincingly. All due respect to Mike Norvell and the Knowles, give me the Canes. Do you realize what history says I'm capable of? If I get to have my guy in place and my university is behind me, history doesn't even know what NIL is, but I've got that to work with down here too. If I keep my South Florida talent home, you can do whatever you want to. You're not going to touch us. Again, lick that index finger and crack open a history book and understand that just like I said with LSU, multiple coaches have done it here, which proves it's not one guy who came in and proved that he can do it. And then he left and the formula for winning left with him. The formula is Miami. It's not any one guy. And the formula is South Florida athletes. They've been going elsewhere, but that was yesterday. It's a new day here. We mean it in every sense of the phrase. So while you're stuck on what we were, what we will be is the envy of this state. Do whatever you want to in Tallahassee. Do whatever you want to in Gainesville. We will run this state en route to being at the very pinnacle of this sport where, to be honest, we always belonged. Now, I think I went five for five. I didn't want to do some of that, but you forced me into what inevitably was a no-win situation. So I know some of you are going to irresponsibly clip some of that for your benefit. That's okay, though. Um, I think there were reasonable sides to be taken there. This is, this is how we wrap up in a very fence-riding manner a segment that was very divisive. Next question. Three guys here, three interesting cats this year. Ken hit us up and he said, in year two under Shane Beamer, Josh Heupel, and Brian Harson, in your opinion, what record would constitute a successful season for each? So we got Harson at Auburn, obviously. We got Shane Beamer at South Carolina. We got Josh Heupel at Tennessee, all entering year two. Brian Harson, this is not going to match what the Vegas total is going to be. The Vegas total is going to be somewhere around five or six for the over-under win total. They're going to demand eight wins from him because unlike these other situations, there's perfect harmony and synergy between the fan base and the head coach and the administration at the other two places. That doesn't exist at Auburn. And so you don't have benefit of the doubt if you're Brian Harson. You've got the win now or they'll fire you. Hashtag remember the Titans kind of vibe going on with them. And even though this roster does not scream eight wins at all, and even though the schedule does not scream eight wins at all, they're going to probably demand eight wins. If they go seven and five, I, I think the conversation around the program will be uh, at, at such an irrational point that there will be no coming back from it. So eight wins probably minimum is what I would need to feel somewhat safe for Brian Harson, Shane Beamer at South Carolina. They won seven games last year. Context is very important because I think the over-under win total was in the like three or four range. So they vastly exceeded expectation. That's great. Here's the dangerous part. The dangerous part is the next logical step in anyone's equation is, well, now you have to do at least that, right? And to mark progress, you have to do one better than that, right? That's why the answer is eight and four. Eight and four is what he's going to need, he being Shane Beamer, to prove a success this year in the eyes of those who matter. I'm of the opinion there are many paths here where a seven-win season is a success. 
Now, South Carolina does not have the easiest schedule in the world. They've always got Clemson at the end, so they don't have the four cream puffs that some teams can afford to dial up with four W's penciled in already. They got Georgia State in week one. They go to Arkansas. I'm just going to tell you where they'll probably be an underdog. They'll be a dog at Arkansas. They'll be a dog to Georgia. Uh, they will possibly to likely be a dog at Kentucky. They'll be a dog at home against Texas A&M. They will in all likelihood be an underdog at Florida. They may very well be a dog at home against Tennessee, although that's way too far off to count. And they'll be a dog at Clemson. I counted that on my fingers. That's seven games that they could be an underdog in. Subtract two off of it. Let's just go best case scenario, point spread wise. There's still a dog in five games. You know what 12 minus five is? Stats and info, it is seven. That's how I get to my seven win, still being a successful season take. Uh, that's a tough schedule to win eight games against. Uh, he proved us wrong last year, and he may very well prove that wrong again this year, but I'm, I'm not one who's going to show up and say, you know, Shane Beamer, for him to be a success this year, he's got to win at least one more game than he did last year. A lot of that stuff's relative. That is not an easy climb for South Carolina this year. Josh Heupel, Tennessee. Really good season last year, 7-6, and six, also vastly exceeded expectation and could have gotten a couple of more tacked on there. I think as it relates to this year, it's probably a good thing they didn't go ahead and win a couple of more games because then they'd be dealing with the same syndrome we just talked about with South Carolina. They lost that bowl game, or did they? Some of us do not consider them losers of the Music City Bowl. They were participants at worst, and they were winners, to be more real with you. Eight and four is the answer. Eight and four is a successful season for Tennessee if they start three and one. But if they start four and oh, which would mean beating Ball State, Pitt, Akron, and Florida, then we enter into what we call recalibration of expectation territory. What that means in a season is it doesn't matter what your preseason expectations were. Michigan State, perfect example of this last year. It doesn't matter that folks expected them to miss a bowl game. They got to a certain point in the year and they were still undefeated to where everyone forgot about the preseason and they recalibrated their expectation. And from that point forward, success for Michigan State was going to be no less than appearing in the Big Ten title game. Now, that's not right. It's not the proper prism with which to view a program through, but doesn't mean it won't happen. So Tennessee, if they start 4-0, if best case happens early, these folks will expect nine wins. Minimum. And that's why sometimes winning games early for expectation purposes can really throw the rest of your season into a tailspin because you end up accomplishing more than you had any business accomplishing in the win-loss column, and yet folks are still kind of rubbed the wrong way by how you finish. And as far as I can tell in the history books, doesn't matter where you get the wins and losses, just that you get them. Mark my words, though. They start three and one. Okay, we'll take eight wins. Eight wins will be a very good year for Tennessee. This is a team that has to play Alabama and Georgia every year. Don't forget that. And they go to Pitt this year for good measure. But if they start 4-0, which would mean wins at Pitt and against Florida at home, both of them are distinct possibilities. If they start 4-0, no one cares about what their preseason, best case, worst case, most likely is. They totally recalibrate that prism. Totally recalibrate it. Use the word prism way too much there, but that is how I see those three programs. Next question. Let's just shift it a little east, shall we? Our buddy Zach Smith hosts a podcast in his own right, which I listen to, Minister Sports. Just earmuff the kiddos before you listen to it. He said, who is most likely to threaten to take the throne 
from a weakened Clemson team in the ACC. Now, my first response, don't ever say I don't stand up for you, Pitt. My first response is, where do you want me to send these angry Pitt folks? Because I checked the record books again, checked them a lot today. Pitt won the ACC last year, and they didn't beat Clemson in the ACC title game either. So yes, it is perceived, in all seriousness, that even though that happened last year, that was the blip. It's still Clemson's conference. Even Alabama has had down years every now and then, yada, yada, yada. All right, so let's work off that. But then let's say it goes sideways again for Clemson, and we're looking at a more prolonged period of Clemson not just utterly laying waste to the conference. Which team, if that were to happen, would be the one that steps up and is viewed from this point moving forward over the next few years as the alpha program in the conference. I've got to go to Miami. This doesn't necessarily happen this year. I'm saying if that were to happen, the, the reason I default to Miami is because I'm thinking talent acquisition. I'm thinking get the players. You can talk to me all you want to about how Mario Cristobal's not proven as a head coach and hadn't won on the grand stage. We're talking about the future, okay? So theoretically, if this happened, it would happen in the future. It would have to be Miami at first for me because they have the best chance to have elite talent acquisition. But they're not the only one capable of that. They're just the one that, I guess percentage-wise, I would roll with. But the second one's North Carolina because of the same reason. It's the talent acquisition. We're not talking about having one pop year. We're not talking about doing it big in one 10-win season, but elsewhere you sink back to your average 7.5 or 8-win type deal. That's not taking over a conference. Which programs are capable of legitimate year-in, year-out, double-digit win expectation level? It hasn't been what North Carolina's done, but it's about talent acquisition. Who has the roster to potentially do that? What did we talk about earlier today? What have I talked about for about the past year? They've got back-to-back-to-back top 15 classes. No one else is really doing that in the ACC. They got to develop them, obviously. Have not done that yet to the degree that they need to to win at this level. But a lot of those guys are still young, too. You know, I don't write someone off because they didn't squeeze every last drop out of a true freshman class. They've still got a long way to go with those guys. But North Carolina, I've told you, I love their staff. A lot of folks love that area of the country. A lot of folks have long since looked for a reason to go play and coach there. Mac Brown's done it. Good staffers are choosing to go there because there's a reason now. You can win at North Carolina. Good players are going there because you can win at North Carolina. Haven't done it yet doesn't always mean we'll never do it. Gene Chizik's the defensive coordinator there. I'm really intrigued by how he fares this year. Because you got some folks who have succeeded uh, going into the TV booth and then coming back out. You got a lot more in multiple sports where the game's passed them by. Now, I think Chizik's still been really involved and he's been really dialed in on the game probably taken a lot of visits that you don't know anything about, met with staffs on his own dime in his own time. So I don't think that they're going to take any huge step back. In fact, quite the opposite. I think they'll take steps forward this year defensively. North Carolina will be the second one. Uh, Let's go with Pitt, though. Pitt has to be mentioned here because Pitt just won the ACC last year. And so if they were to win it again this year, that would be a streak, you know? And it would not be the Clemson Tigers on that streak. So what we could have is we could have a situation where every year people look for a reason out there, anything under the sun, that gives them an excuse to bet against Pitt. And then Pitt could just be one of those 
underappreciated, overlooked, rock-solid developmental cultures that always gets every last drop out of every player on that squad, and they end up there every year. That could happen. That would have to be their formula. Pitt would not rack up untold amounts of four- and five-star recruits. That's not reasonable. That's not their path. They know that's not their path. That doesn't mean they don't have a path, though. And especially if Clemson's out of the way in this scenario, there's, you know, there, there's no Goliath that you have to slay every year. Pitt could do that. They won the, I mean, they won the ACC as recently as last year, obviously. But also, they just showed you something that's important. They showed you the ability to attract transfer portal quarterback talent. Now, if you continue to do that, and the old history book that we've been flipping through a lot tonight says, once you do it one time, it's kind of a domino effect, whether it be traditional recruiting or portal recruiting. Still a young era, obviously, but let's see if Pitt's able to do it that way. The fourth one is North Carolina State. I paused for a second because North Carolina State does not get a lot of mention on the show. And I've had accusations thrown at me that we don't talk about them enough. And you're right, we don't talk about them enough. So North, Carolina's the, or North Carolina State is the fourth team here. They're not going to like that I left the state off. NC State's the fourth team here. Um, NC State, they love that they're a quiet contender. They were last year. They will be again this year. Now I'm going to do my part and try and mention them more. But NC State could basically duplicate what I just said about Pitt. They'd just be a couple of states further south. And with better access to talent, NC State's got to have that year. If they can just have that year, you know, play for an ACC title, for example, if they could just have that year, it would rub some of the anonymity off the program. They've landed some good players. Make no mistake about it. They need more of those kind of players to sustain a run. And to do that, they have to have more of a, at least a regional brand and a, a regional identity. There's a lot of anonymity still around that program. That doesn't mean they're not good and not full of good folks. Quite the opposite. But they need that to get the kind of athlete and the quantity of those athletes to sustain a run. That really boils down to doing something this year. They've got the team to do it. Uh, they got a lot of important pieces back. They've got a lot of cohesion there. They need to have one of those years this year because they can parlay that. They can dovetail that, choose your nomenclature. They can use that to hopefully snowball their way to now a multi-year run of success in the ACC instead of building up to a couple of years and then falling back down. Last question. Thank you for being with us tonight. Last question here. Lou is asking, I don't want to expand the playoffs either, but when Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC, we could be looking at a year where three or maybe even four of the best teams are all in the same conference, but only two could make it. That feels wrong. What are your thoughts? Lou, you want to know my thoughts on the playoff, huh? My thoughts when Texas and OU get to the SEC as it relates to the playoff, are the same as my thoughts on the playoff right now. I don't really care about it. But I know that's my personal feel. So in order to do this question justice, I think I need to take my own heart and I need to set it over here. And I probably need to answer in a more generic fashion. Actually, let me give you one more personal take. You know what? When Texas and Oklahoma are here, you are dead on the money accurate about this. And when they get in the conference, even more so, you'll have years where you absolutely have a handful of the best teams in the country in the same conference. What this is going to do for me, personally, is it's just going to make me value the SEC championship game more. Now, how the rest of the country handles that is their business. But to me, like I remember when I was growing up, 
I would watch the Atlanta Braves play 162 regular season games, right? And a lot of times in the Bobby Cox years, when they were winning 14 straight division titles, they'd end up running away with their division and they'd have far and away the best record in baseball and they'd coast the last month of the year. And then they'd play like a red hot wild card team in the first round of the playoffs that had to crawl over broken glass to get in and they get knocked out in the first round. Well, did that tell me that wild card team was the better team? It didn't tell me that. It told me they were the hotter team. The 162 game season was the truest test to me of who the best team is. Well, think about what the SEC schedule is going to be. That, that, it's not 162, fortunately, but the eight or nine or 10, whatever they choose it to be, game conference schedule. And then being able to get through that and making it to Atlanta and winning the SEC championship, there's going to come a time in the not too distant future where at least I look at that and there may be a year where I say, I think I value the SEC championship more than the playoff because I see a larger collection of the best teams in the country. I know people in Columbus, Ohio recoil at that because Ohio State fans say, it doesn't matter which teams you have down there. We're going to still be one of the best in the country. I don't doubt that. Ditto. Any given year in places like Michigan or places like uh, USC, places like Oregon. I don't doubt that at all. What I'm telling you is the totality of the schedule that you'll have to play down in the SEC, especially once those two get here, makes everything else pale in comparison. So that's the way I'm going to look at it. Now, for the SEC's stance in all this, this explains to you why we are where we are. Well, let me rephrase, why you are where you are with the conference and playoff expansion and all that stuff. I've largely stayed out of this because I don't care about the playoff to begin with, but a lot of you guys who want playoff expansion and thought you had it, all of a sudden the rug got pulled out from under you and you found out that it turns out not everyone was on board with everyone else's requirements. And then the more you hear about it, the more you hear Greg Sankey and the SEC saying, uh, I mean, we want an expanded playoff, but we don't really need one. This thing's been okay to us as it is. His requirement was what? His requirement was, we want to go to 12 teams, but whatever model we go to, our requirement in the SEC is you have at least as many at-large spots as you do auto bids. Translation, my conference is already the toughest in America. It's about to get a whole lot tougher, whether you knew it at the time or not, with OU and Texas joining. This is going to be a total meat grinder of a schedule. We got bigger stadiums than most anyone. We got more high caliber athletes than most anyone, better teams, better coaches than almost anyone. I am not going to penalize my conference by locking ourselves into a contract where a maximum of only a couple of them can make your precious playoff. No, 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 no. You're going to have an opportunity. If you want me to sign on the dotted line for this playoff contract, you're going to give me the opportunity to get multiples of these teams in. Because any given year, maybe I don't have just one or two of the best 12 in the country. Maybe I got half a dozen of the best 12 in the country. You're going to put my best teams in, or I'm not going to sign off on your playoff because newsflash, the current format's already working pretty well for us anyway. And if you need further proof, why don't you hit the rewind button about three months and watch two of my teams play for the national championship about a month after they played for my conference championship. Signed, XOXO, Greg Sankey. I endorse that line of thinking, only I would go a step further and say, you know what, forget it, we're staying at four. Nay, we may want to go back to two. That would be me, but you know how it is. So I... I just think when they get to the SEC, 
I think a lot of folks are going to have to see it before they understand how they feel about it. But I think there may be an opportunity for you down the road to watch that conference and say to yourself, dude, the, the, the playoff, I still want to watch it and everything, but look at what the SEC schedule is compared to what the rest of the country plays. And then you're going to reason in your own mind how you value their conference championship versus what their teams do in the playoff. I just think to myself, with a conference that loaded, I may just inflate my value of the conference championship more than I really care what the playoff format is. That's just me, though. League City, Texas. They're watching us there tonight. Naples, Florida. Beach Island, South Carolina watching. I'm stunned that we got this show in in under an hour. But we did. Things on Cameo are going great. I'm going to wrap the show by telling you a story, but keeping the names anonymous. Cameo, of course, is where you can just give me pretty much any intel you want me to have. It could be happy birthday. It could be call my cousin bad names. If you want me to, I will for the right price. Somebody the other day wants to roast their friend. And so they submit a Cameo request. And the Cameo request was, and I quote, this guy just got kicked off the debate team for being too bougie and for going on too many Tinder dates. And armed with that information and that information alone, I let loose and was happy to do it. Because, you know, with, with every choice, there are consequences in life. And in 1978, it would just be your old man takes away your college tuition for a semester. But in the year of our Lord 2022, that may still happen, but then the government will subsidize that part of it. I'm coming in hot, though, on the cameo request. So if you are so interested, there is a link on my Twitter profile, at LateKickJosh. Appreciate you guys being tuned in. We're going to be right back here Sunday. I don't know how loaded the show can be. Couldn't be any more loaded than this. But we'll have full spring reaction. Uh, Texas, uh, LSU's in action. Oregon's in action. Tennessee, I think. We got a bunch of spring games. So we'll have that for you. We're going to run back the boldest takes. Uh, part two this Sunday. We got a lot to get to. We've already got like most of the Sunday show done. We could probably do it right now. Until then though, our entire production executive team tirelessly working today. Producer Jesse, just fingers worked down to the nubs. Director Colin punching away in there. I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great early start to your weekend and God bless. CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What about the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS. Monday, 9, 8 central. On CBS. And streaming on Paramount+. Plus.